0: Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. I'm your host, Josh Maharaj. Today on Hot Plate, I'm joined by Elaine Duff, and we're talking smuggled culture, cranky Uncle Roger, globalization of the grocery store, and presumptuous pumpkin spice. Hello, everyone. Today we have a special guest host on the show. Uh, I'd like to welcome Elaine Duff. Hello, Elaine. Hello, it's so great to be here. for our listeners, I'm going to give them a little info about you. Thank you for joining us. Elaine Duff is an accomplished professional with more than 20 years within the beverage and alcohol industry. Working for the two largest drinks companies in the world, AB InBev and Diageo Wine and Spirits, has earned her a solid track record of working as a mixologist, Luxury Spirits brand ambassador, and brand strategist. Elaine's infectious passion for cocktails and polished presentation skills made her in-demand speaker at trade shows around the world. Diageo's go-to person for media, being one of the most requested mixology experts on Spike TV's hit Bar Rescue, um, and being Andy Cohen's favorite bartender on set for Watch What Happens Live. In September 2017, Elaine created her own consultancy company, Duff on the Rocks, through which she works with brands to develop on- and off-trade strategy, sales, and education solutions. Woo! Elaine, you are no jokes. Welcome. <laughs> it's lovely to have you.
1: It's so much of a mouth. It's so good to be here. It's Thank great. you so much. are up
0: to a whole bunch of things, which is why we're really, really delighted to have you join us here. Most requested on Watch What Happens Live, huh? <laughs>
1: that's what that's what they say i I don't know if that's true but i I was on there a lot it was such a fun show to work on.
0: i have always thought that that would be a fun thing to do Uh, they
1: literally get you drunk before you go on they literally pile all the people with alcohol before people get onto the show Um, that is a
0: good talk show scenario right and
1: then you get on the show and then your job is just to stand there literally and offer people drinks if they want one but uh yeah, it was it was always my favorite. I still haven't made Andy an actual cocktail, though. He uh, is a whiskey guy, and we never sponsored with a whiskey, so that's I was awesome. always giving it to his guests. I did serve Sarah Jessica Parker a Cosmopolitan, and that made me happy. Oh,
0: that's lovely. Oh, that's so <laughs> nice. It's like me serving Julia Child a beef bourguignon. That's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, so nice. Okay, so we got some we got some cool stuff to talk about today, and we're taking you a little further down a food road uh, than you might usually go. I know I'm excited. Uh, uh, Thanks for coming along with us. So uh, the first piece uh, that I'd love to chat about is I read this lovely bit uh, about a grandmother uh, from Lebanon, a Lebanese woman who smuggled a smear of yogurt culture on a handkerchief. If you can imagine, like the romance and Mm -hmm. the science clashing together is (laughs) extraordinary, right? Um, And then she immigrated to the West from Lebanon. Right. And the story is they landed first in Paris. uh, Mm -hmm. There was a mother and her two daughters, and then they ended up uh, in the US. Uh, But it, uh, it just amazed me. And there's uh, moments in the story where they talk about that sort of inspection. Mm-hmm. At Ellis Island, right, and that everyone was checked; they were all checked for disease and the condition of their teeth and whatever. And she all the time knew she had this back little bacteria smeared on a handkerchief in her <laughs> pocket. It's uh, what did you? How did that? How did that resonate with you? I was just really wrapped up in how beautiful. I was- the story was
1: i was really wrapped up in it because it really talked to her as a mother and somebody trying to preserve her culture and like really bring a piece of her with her and how clever of her to think of that like this is the thing i would have
0: never imagined to like take a little smear uh, of of the on and that it would survive on the handkerchief and you know what i mean the fact that she just dunks that handkerchief back in the milk and,
1: and this you know this all happens again is, yeah. How did she know that? <laughs> I know. Like, I mean, somebody, I'm thinking somebody must have taught her, but I don't know. Maybe she just guessed, like, I'll give it a whirl. Well, this is, know. and
0: where's the chain of that wisdom, right? I thought yeah. that was really quite extraordinary. Um, and, and something that I thought was super sweet was the, like the double entendre on culture. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, because yes. there's the bacterial, the growth, the bacterial culture, but then there's the other, this sort of traditional emotional connection on the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it it's this particular story really tied in this moment, right? And to see this woman because the first move that she had made uh, to Paris was during the 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 last plague, the Spanish yes, flu it the Spanish was, flu. Right? I know. And so now the fact that it is that is it's come around again to another moment of quarantine uh, and disease as it would be around the planet. Um, and then connecting that with the presence of bacteria and culture, like it's just the layer upon layer of all of it, right? And that in her, in, in this author and this lovely woman who's telling the story in her own quarantine, um, what she, the thing she thought of to do was to make some of this stuff, right? Yeah. And, to, and to connect with her own sister and chat about it all. Um, like it, it is. it really felt like she herself was resurrecting a bit of her own family tradition. Mm hmm. And and that that somehow connect, you know, especially uh, I have one of my best friends is Lebanese. uh, And when that explosion hit. uh, Right. And it was this this wild thing. Right. It's just it just seemed it actually just seemed like a bit of an accidental thing that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, But she obviously was on the phone and and it was very dramatic and urgent until she had confirmed that her people were safe. um, And while they all were safe, their places were not right? Apartments and businesses were all bashed in. And I watched my dear friend find some way to connect with her family by cooking, right? Really? And she would tease us on Instagram <laughs> with these gorgeous photos of things that her grandmother had made, right? Mm-hmm. And things that she hadn't ever made as a ch- as a grown-up person. You know, things that she just remember being a little one kicking around the kitchen, waiting for a taste of something. Um, and that she felt that because she couldn't get on a plane, right? She couldn't get on a plane and go visit and, and be with everybody and they couldn't come here, uh, that the thing she did was make this food um, and, and and somehow feel connected to them and that history and what was happening over there.
1: I think yeah. that makes so much sense because I think about it. I mean, I'm not a great cook by any means. I, I'm, I make great drinks. Uh, my food, as my daughter would say, is meh. But uh, <laughs> I do find myself, you know, especially during the pandemic, you know, we, I was cooking a bit more. Um, I was definitely cooking some of my family's more traditional, you know, recipes that I learned from my mom. I'm the youngest of eight kids.
0: Whoa. So yeah. Whoa. yeah. So okay.
1: My mom learned how to cook from my dad, who happened to be the firehouse uh, cook.
0: Oh my so, god, what a
1: history. So tell me what those dishes are. I love this. So, you know, we made things like shepherd's pie because yep. everything we made is like casserole style. For which sure. is a
0: large quantity, right? Large Feeding quantities. lots of mouths. Amazing. But
1: I'm only a family of 3. It's myself, my husband, Thank and my you. daughter. So this was something <laughs> like we just have a lot of leftovers, you know. It's like, you know, shepherd's pie, lasagna, like things that come in large pans. Um, but it's comfort food too, right? So it's yes. like during a pandemic, you're looking to connect to your families. You're looking to connect with, you know, uh, part of your culture and how you grew up. And I'm also going to pass that down to my daughter a little bit. And we had all this Lovely. time together that we never had before. Right. And tell me,
0: I'm curious, because it sounds like you are a super busy mom. Uh, and when, when it hit and we all were sort of sent to our homes in this, you know, in this moment, what was it that, that er, you know what I mean, that took you into the kitchen and, and specifically thought about traditional recipes? I'm so curious to know what that motivator was like.
1: I, I think it, it's more, you know, there was a moment of panic, right? And there's also nothing's happening. Like all your... For a little bit, there was no business happening. You know, everybody right. was kind of shut down. So you, I am a as a mom, I guess nurturing is just part of my nature, and I try to do it through food. Not that I do it very well, but I try. And mm-hmm. something about cooking and being in the kitchen. I love baking too. I'm a baker. Like that's I'm a bigger baker than I am. a better People
0: baker. People are not often the the same. Like you're either a cook or a baker. Yeah, I'm a much right? better it's baker. It's rare <laughs> that they're that they're both in one person.
1: So I think it was just that. It was just that the connection and you know, we were all eating more, you know, we were just kind of home more, we were eating more. So it just kind of spurred you to go into the kitchen. I probably baked first before I did anything else. I started yes. making brownies and cakes and cookies and all the things you shouldn't be making. <laughs> but I did. I did because yeah. they're delicious and I needed comfort. And that's uh, exactly so that's, that's what exactly. inspired me. And to hear her and how she like, you know, she hadn't she hadn't made that yogurt in such a long time. And then when the pandemic went, she went and found this culture and and then she recreated this recipe again. It must have been really nice for her to kind of feel connected back to her roots. I think
0: so, right? I think so. There was a moment where she talks about the like clumsy wrapping of the towels around Mm -hmm. the bowl for it to be warm. And that she just sort of like sat there looking at it, hoping, right, that when the time was right, when she'd unwrap it, she'd have that like quivery, solid formed thing um and i like i just i really feel that even in times when i am here in my kitchen trying to make something from my mom or from my i have so few things from my grandmother um to think about what she would have thought if she watched this you know what i mean she looked at this scenario would she have ever imagined that her like she was really rather proper lady uh would she have imagined that her her unmarried dog dog granddaughter living by herself in her house happily you know what i mean just Mm -hmm. like not actually that worried and concerned about the fact that she is (laughs) this way right um it's really really fascinating Um,
1: i know it really is and i love the idea of the yeast culture because i didn't really know a lot about it i mean working in the spirits industry you only hear about yeast when it comes to fermentation and you talk to the distillers and how much yeast and culture it's like such a big thing um because it's like without it you can't have a consistent product for myself the only way i've actually worked with a culture before is i started making my own kombucha Oh yeah, uh, see you made
0: friends with the Scoby, have you? Oh yeah,
1: oh yeah. So I went and bought the kit, like the starter kit, because I was okay. like, I don't know how to do this, but it's been great. Because now I have my own Scoby that gets re- a new one develops every batch, right? So I make a new batch every two weeks. And I, I add different flavors to it, like in the bottle. So mostly cayenne pepper and lemon juice and, and ginger. Oh, you're like on that. Favorite. You're
0: on that hot cleanse kombucha. Okay. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Every, every little bit helps. So, <laughs> you know, but it's really disgusting looking and watching it form. It looks like a science experiment in my kitchen, but it works. Yep. And I've been doing it now for eight months and I love it. No more buying kombucha for me.
0: Right. There's tradition. <laughs> right mm-hmm. that's what i really dig is that like like yogurt and like sourdough right i think that the baking piece really at least especially sourdough bread where every loaf of bread is connected to every loaf that came before it in that mm-hmm. really lovely way right and yogurt is the same thing uh plugging into that connection i feel has really been the thing that we're all chasing <laughs> Elaine, have you ever heard of Uncle Roger? I have Have not. The phenomenon (laughs) that is Uncle Roger. I've recently been introduced to him, uh, and he essentially is uh, a young dude, uh, I believe, living in Hong Kong, um, or maybe he's in the UK. Could it could go either way? But he young dude who has adopted a bit of a persona, a little video persona, Mm -hmm. um, called Uncle Roger. Right, And he stays in this character. Uh, but what he does is he offers sort of like a commentary on videos of like prominent chefs um, making Asian dishes,
1: okay. right? particularly
0: Chinese dishes, because I think that's really where his expertise is. So uh, one of the big explosions were his loud objections to Jamie Oliver's egg fried rice. <laughs> right and that is the video that's the video that i shared with you oh i know. Uh, and it like i watched it and i was like the one-liners that came out of this man were super super funny right uh even just first when he went because jamie oliver like i think he heats up a frying pan mm-hmm Right and walk. Uncle Roger's like you know, one moment where he's like you have so many cookbooks and you haven't been able to buy yourself a walk. Why don't you have a walk? Um, it was it's just so great, right? My, 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 one of my favorite favorite lines is. um, You hear sizzling, because I think Jamie Oliver wanted people to hear Mm -hmm. the scallions or something sizzling. He says, uh, and Uncle Roger wanted nothing to do with sautéing the scallions, right? They're the garnish at the end. Uh And he says, you hear sizzling? I hear my ancestors crying.
1: I I love that line. I thought it was
0: fantastic. (laughs) Uh, He made me laugh so much. But what I think is actually really, really fascinating is the next layer here around... Uh, cultures and appropriation and who makes what uh, and how that all lands, right? It sounds like one of the biggest offenses Jamie Oliver made was adding like a very generous spoonful of chili jam.
1: Oh yeah. To that, the that fried really rice. Worked. And He's like, like, have you heard of sriracha? <laughs> <laughs> and, like,
0: I had a lot of questions about why the choice on chili jam because sweetness in fried rice is not so much of a thing,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: Uh, chili 100%, but the sweetness was a curiosity. Um, but I'd love to talk a little bit about, um, like, to figure out where the lines are, right? Because I think in some senses, Jamie Oliver is really credited with making different foods from around the world accessible, mm-hmm. right? That's part of his shtick and his charm has been banging out a quick curry and, you know, just being really cool and easy about it all. But I, I will agree to you with uh, Uncle Roger about the fact that this video was just a little too far. Um, but I don't know. What do you think? How did it sit with you?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. I mean, he's hilarious. I mean, I, I really enjoyed watching him and he does have great one-liners. Cool. Um, you know, what is it about olive oil? Don't let him give you a massage. Yeah, that's right. He's right. like, he'll rub you down with olive oil. That's right,
0: the, <laughs> the olive oil. And it's a fair question. Why would you use olive oil? When Why you would you
1: use oil? olive oil? Why don't you have a walk? And I think, you know, it comes down to it, And I, I agree. Is there, is there a level where he is, Jamie Oliver has so removed himself as being a chef to just being a customer, like a consumer person. I'm just a a person teaching people like how to make recipes in their house. Mm -hmm. So he has stopped thinking of himself, you know, I think as like a serious chef. I mean, I think he is a serious chef, but at the same time you get so in that loop of like, I'm going to dumb it down or I'm just going to like make it for the consumers. So I'm going to do my own recipe. Could he have... I think it's appropriate, even in cocktail making, some people like destroy a recipe. It's like they take a classic cocktail, like an old fashioned and they add something to it and they forget to call it an
0: old,
1: they forget to call it an old fashioned. I'm like, dude, that's just an old fashioned with like honey syrup instead of like, you know, sugar. And you've called it something completely different. So you have to give respect to the original to approach so i think if he would have explained about like you know this is how a traditional you know yes. egg rice was made and this yeah. is my english twist on it mm-hmm. at least start it off like that like yeah. this is my traditional like this is it's traditionally made this way but i'm putting my english twist on this as something that and for you at home so you can use all the things you have at home because maybe you don't have a walk right but you should have a walk
0: right and yeah get yourself a walk
1: get yourself a what do you respect
0: in, in a pinch my cast iron pan does a fine job mm-hmm. right it it can work with a good scrapey metal spatula you can get that nice little crust and it does the job yeah. uh, but i really i like what you're suggesting here about the fine line between authenticity and tradition and appropriation mm-hmm. right because it's like respect where the thing comes from respect the tradition respect the you know the thought about the fact that fried rice uh the genesis of fried rice is a thing to use up leftover bits Exactly. Oh, right? is that what that's it's That's why it's all kind of cut up little stuff. That's the whole ah, point, right? I didn't realize that's what it, where
1: it it's, came uh, from.
0: It's whatever it is. It's just whatever your leftover bits from last night. They all get fried up separately, and then the whole bit comes together. Um, one of the things I've been thinking about is the idea of like making, as you've just stated, a bit of a culture acknowledgement. Something that's really, really big here in Canada is uh, is whenever we have gatherings or meetings or anything really, we need to do a, a land acknowledgement is becoming more and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, commonplace and just acknowledge uh, specifically with our history with connection to indigenous land and indigenous communities um, and that is becoming more and more commonplace and I've had this idea that there might be room in the spirit of this for a cultural version of this to be like uh, you know if this is a borrowed version from something mm-hmm. you know what I mean an authentic Chinese I have this idea that the beginning of every yoga class given everywhere maybe <laughs> we could pause for one moment and just, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> maybe. Uh anyhow. Uh Uncle this I this the 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 tale of Uncle Roger went further because a young British, a young brown woman who's a British chef mm-hmm. made her version of egg fried rice and he he uh you know evaluated her video uh, and then actually went to her house. Wow,, uh, right, and talk to her because her, the biggest offense that she made was straining her rice under the sink. Ah, right. She didn't rice cook her in or just have, you know, uh, she strained it under the sink, and he couldn't handle it. Uh, <laughs> right And so we went to go and talk to Auntie Hersha uh, and sort it all out. Uh, and even like and it was it was really, really funny, and I was watching her cooking, being like, "What are you doing, woman? this is?" You <laughs> taught you had how- like, what have you done? You've just made some weird, fluffy rice um but what uh wait like do you think that an acknowledge, just saying hey this is not my thing this is my version of this thing i think so i and think that's, that's
1: respectful it? i think it's about yeah. like honoring that it came from this culture honoring and saying you know this is the traditional like it's the traditional like giving a little history about it but i've learned to make my own because ver- i've seen chefs do this so like but i've yeah. simplified it for you at home and this is my, tr- he put a British twist on it, you know, right. maybe, you know, and you might not have a wok. So I'm going to use a pan that you probably all have at home, which is a cast iron skillet. And I put this, you know, traditionally they would, they would use this other sauce, but I'm going to use this British, you know, this chili jam that add a little flavor. I think it's just more of acknowledging it and just saying, right. this is, you know, and they've been making it for hundreds of thousands of years. This is the thing. And this is the story behind it, but I, I appreciate the original, but this is just my I want to add my own little special twist to it. And I think that's enough. I think. Yep. Right, I agree. I-,
0: I agree. The acknowledgement is a key piece, right? Yeah. Uh, I really think so. Um, but I, did, I'm uh, an Upper
1: East Side woman, white woman, on you know, like, so, like <laughs> so I don't know. I'm saying what I think would be appropriate. But, right, yeah. right,
0: right, right. <laughs> uh, but listen, listeners, I really encourage you all to go to YouTube and watch some Uncle Roger videos uh, because the man is fantastically entertaining. So, Elaine, the other day I was shopping in Loblaws grocery store up here in Canada, and I was on the hunt for coconut milk. Mm -hmm. Uh, I went to the international foods aisle first. No luck. Then I went to the canned milk section. Also no luck. Uh, Then I and like the thing is, this is like some sort of giant. So the the steps involved are considerable. Then I asked a staff person who sent me to the baking aisle. Okay. Ultimately, (laughs) the only coconut milk in the store was a can of organic milk in the natural choice section, right? And for the record, it was $4.69 a can, which is a (laughs) mighty price tag for a can of coconut milk. Okay. Uh, Right? I live Um, in New York.
1: That just sounds normal to me. Really? Oh,
0: $4.69 a can. That's a lot. Uh, (laughs) Thankfully, and at the very least, it's organic. Um, But there has been, and, and the thought in my mind was, for God's sake, can't we just... Stop with all this nonsense and flinging people to all these different areas in the store. Can we just put all the damn canned milk in one place?
1: (laughs) Makes sense to me.
0: Right? It just seems so silly. Uh, And so I went to do some digging around to see who else is talking about this. And uh, David Chang, very famous, beloved David Chang from Mm -hmm. Fuku fame, he has been a, a loud proponent of the elimination of the international foods aisle. Right. And he he actually makes what I think are some pretty solid connections around uh, making correlations between the way the grocery store is set up and the way like our communities and neighborhoods are set up.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And then just the degree to which we are willing to truly integrate ourselves with each other. Uh, and there is uh, like, I think I think that I think this is exactly what should happen and that the pasta section should be expanded to be the pasta noodle section. Right. <laughs> and we should just right? And take all the space and just have one giant aisle full of condiments and all the sauces, like just, you know, put them all together.
1: definitely. Definitely. That I agree with. Just all in one place. All in one place. The
0: kosher stuff, the Mexican, like just all the tahini, all of it, right? Just all of it together. Um, And so, but there are other people who really think that there, that there's no need for it, that it's not sending any sort of divisive message and that it's actually more convenient when they're making their ethnic recipes. To be able to just go to that international food section and get all the things they want. Um, I, uh, I've, There's lots of different opinions, but I, I'm a huge proponent of let's just get rid of this aisle mm-hmm. and integrate us all with each other uh where do you what do you think how does this sit because i'm sure i'm sure something of you know you've encountered some version
1: oh yeah but it's interesting because in new york city our supermarkets aren't very big right so they have to organize everything by right. you know like by condiments or pasta oh they do
0: okay okay it,
1: there is there are some that definitely has some ethnic like i live on the edge of spanish harlem and upper east side like in the middle so oh. i have a mixture of like asian Lat, latins uh african americans and uh, just good old white. So yeah. like, <laughs> just white bread people. So like, it's like a comedy show, like my store across the way, it's like, you go to the vegetable aisle and they'll have everything from like, you know, uh, lemongrass to like, you know, like, uh, uh, kimchi to like, an all in one like very crowded section. Right. Um, all, but all the kind of smacks. So there's very few ethnic aisles ever. When you go to like maybe whole foods, they might right. have yep. but even that. I don't go there very often. So, I am a fan only when it's a giant supermarket and they specialize in one thing. So it's like, we are like, when I lived in Edgewater, New Jersey, there was a Japanese supermarket. Yes. So I would go there and you could find all your normal things, but they specialize in Japanese food. So if you really want to make sushi, you could go there. And I know if I want really authentic Mexican ingredients, like making fajitas, like I just have to go up about four or five blocks and there is a Mexican supermarket there, which, has because the culture of the people there are more they're more Latin and so they have more spicy but they have more of those authentic ingredients. So I don't know. I am a fan of the organized supermarket. Everything should be in one aisle, and then if you specialize in something, it should be like here's my we we advertise it. And here's my specialty. Right, that would uh, make sense. Right. Uh, <laughs>
0: and do you have a sense? I like as somebody who's whose culture lives in the international foods aisle, mm-hmm. right? Like that's where I go if I'm not going to the Indian market. Cause mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Just like your example of a Latino market um, that I would go to the Indian market to get all the things that I need. But in a pinch when I need, you know what I mean? Chickpea flour or mango chutney or something like that. It's always the international foods aisle. But there so, so many times I'm like, why can't we just put all the flour together? Right, right. Why that I, makes sense. like chickpea flours? And, and I think that with this sort of the growth of our palates here, right? We have such beautifully diverse palates. These aren't, these foods aren't weird and different as they once were. Right. You know what I mean? We're all cool. We know, we all know to go hunt for goju jang and what it's going to do. You know, the magical things it's going to do. Sriracha is a staple Mm -hmm. in the, in the twirl of condiments that are in everybody's fridge door now. Right. It's just there. Yeah. uh, Depending on what you're eating. I I, think. I agree. Right. I just. These these are not weird things anymore. The
1: common things that are used in all like that are just common, like, you know, whatever, you know, common Asian, like the ones that are just like staples, they should just be in every supermarket because they're just staples that everybody needs. Like the sriracha sauce. It's like, it's a staple. Don't
0: don't mess around. You always have to have rice vinegar, soy sauce, sriracha, sesame oil. They're just, you know what I mean? They're always around and they make everything delicious. All right. We cannot avoid it. I'm, let's talk about pumpkin spiced madness, right? <laughs> it is everywhere. It is the beginning of October uh, in North America, and we cannot help ourselves. Oh, uh, it. And it just to me, it just seems that every year the obsession with pumpkin spice grows like more grotesque and weirdly esoteric. Mm-hmm. right and i i this was signaled to me this year by an image and i honestly thought it was it was a joke i still don't quite believe it exists but <laughs> our craft dinner right or i believe in in the u.s they call it craft mac and cheese mm-hmm. uh, but up here craft pumpkin spiced
1: oh craft dinner oh i mean could be me, craft macaroni and cheese is eaten by children i don't know many right. children are gonna be eating a craft pumpkin spice who's gonna be
0: yeah Right. It's crazy. And so then I did a bit more digging and I was like, what else? Because the pumpkin spice flavor shows up everywhere. Mm-hmm. I saw pumpkin spice Cheerios the other day. Ooh. There's pumpkin Oreos for sure. Oh, yeah. Oreos. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I saw a piece advertising pumpkin spice bone broth mix. Oh, right. That seems as ridiculous as the, even more ridiculous than the craft dinner. It really right. Because does. bone broth has some sort of
1: nutritional anchor right and the, <laughs> the idea that we're gonna put that? what would you do like you just drink it i don't know because bone broth is right the base of a soup like i would add that to other things. Other well, this is it right, right? or so, you
0: drink the broth straight up for yeah. that like hardcore breakfast gelatin hit right no. um i don't get it and so and i was like what is the obsession right <laughs> yeah. we don't get as crazy at any other time of the year nope. as we do with this Uh, And I don't like I I don't understand it like uh like yeah it's fun and I love those flavors Thanksgiving is my favorite favorite holiday it's my favorite right the whole entire holiday just focused on sitting down and eating your face off amazing (laughs) it's
1: amazing I am
0: in uh but the pumpkin spice like and because it's fake pumpkin spice Mm -hmm. right like fake banana I find fake banana the most one of the most offensive flavors artificial banana it's terrible (laughs) but pumpkin spice and so then. Uh, I, did, I did more digging to figure out what this obsession is all about. Right, mm-hmm. And then I got to get the phrase right. I got to look it up because the-, the I you know, love the, this
1: article you sent me. I'm like, oh, depth, all those things make sense.
0: Right? Well, this is it. So reactance theory <laughs> is what they talked about, right? Mm-hmm. This idea that um, it is the anticipation for the return uh, and the fact that it's not available all year round. Uh, The unavailability is its attractiveness is what the psychologist
1: is saying. Absolutely. I'm a sucker for it. I mean, I don't drink the pumpkin spice latte at Starbucks because I just find it. I think I tried it once and I was like, no, Uh, but I get it. It's that limitation. It's like we need to have stuff. So it's like, oh, my God, we won't be able to get it. So I should I should have this like it's only available for these next two weeks. You know, we must indulge. I totally get it.
0: Uh, Now, I wonder, though, because we don't we don't seem to have the same madness with flavors other times of the year. But maybe as I'm thinking about it, maybe there aren't other moments of the year where the flavor is so obvious. Mm. Right. Because I would argue that the the prominence of the gingerbread latte was a runoff after seeing the explosion of the excitement (laughs) of the pumpkin spice. You know what I mean? They were Uh like, oh, we got to get on this flavor train. Right. But we don't anticipate it's not just, you know, there's I don't know that there's another time of year where there's a flavor
1: that you can is have, so clear, right? You can have ginger all year long. I mean, you can have apples all year long, strawberries all year I mean, it's not as, but pumpkin. It's like pumpkins, you only see them at this time of year. It says autumn, right? Which was the other theory, right? So it's like, uh it's like the, the limitation uh you know you go pumpkin picking like right. there's this whole thing it's like there's like a comfort to it you know it's like oh it's autumn we must have pumpkins I well, must pick and
0: now them. now I'm thinking that maybe I need to soften up my disdain because maybe there's some sort of sweet harvest urge behind all of this <laughs> right with
1: because yeah, we're all social you know conformity that's, that's, that's it. or
0: like the root vegetables, vegetables. we're storing it all we're preserving things in jars and hoarding things you know for this for the bleaker season ahead uh maybe that's what this is uh, yeah
1: I don't know. I, I, I go know. with the warm and fuzzy notion. I like. I that. like it. I, I think, like it because yeah. I want to put on my sweater. I want to get my boots, and I, yes. oh, I want to go out pumpkin pinking. I do. For for me, I don't eat it. I just carve a jack o' lantern out of it. I love getting out my little knife and like yes. stuff. Even and though the I'm a sliminess
0: on the inside. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah, it's fun. And, and yeah. pumpkin seeds. I like pumpkin seeds. Those. I do
0: too. Like. I do too. Okay, so Elaine, in the spirit of the pumpkin spiciness, mm-hmm. I went hunting for a recipe to figure out how one would make a pumpkin spice syrup. Right. And I was actually very delighted to see that a lot of the recipes I found actually included some cooked mashed pumpkin.
1: Okay. And there was the
0: thickness. It was it was just enough to mix with sugar and then you cook it down a little sort of light, light, light caramel kind of vibe. Right. Um, But that was a real surprise to me. And I I was excited to ask you about this because how commonplace are using like actual pulp? It wasn't like juice or an extract or something like that. Like it was the actual pulp of the pumpkin, which I thought was fascinating.
1: I do find it, I mean, I don't, I've don't i never used the actual pulp, but I have used as I, uh, a puree, the, like in the can. I find you can find that cheat really easy. If you yeah. buy that puree in the can, um, it tastes, I mean, you it tastes just like what you think pumpkin. Totally. I'm sure things have been added to it to make it taste what we all perceive pumpkin and tastes like. Right. Pumpkin right. really doesn't taste like a lot, but in our mind it has all these fall notes. And I just add like a spoonful of that. If I'm making a cocktail, like I made a whiskey cocktail, uh, okay. you know, it's like, and I just add like a spoonful of that, you know, shake it. And it seemed to infuse the entire drink. Oh, right. Oh, so even just in the shaker, like in a the glass shaker glass. itself, like an ingredient, okay. like instead of, you know, adding in like cranberry or juice or whatever, I added pumpkin with my lemon juice and a and I think it was like a honey spice syrup and like and a whiskey. Cause I just found the fall flavors and whiskey go really well together. And then when I shake it though, but when I strain it over fresh ice, I put a double strainer. So I put like a fine strainer. Okay. So that way I don't get the pulp in the drink. Cause and nobody wants to drink the, something. Chewing, the yeah. chewier
0: bits. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, a
1: great way to enjoy it and get the, the pumpkin flavor and just the right amount. Okay.
0: I love that. Thanks
1: for that tip. You're welcome.
0: If you're enjoying our podcast, you can support us at patreon.com slash hotplatepod. Hotplate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. It helps others find us. You can follow me at Joshna Maharaj on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Hotplate is produced by Mirella Amato and Dennis Coyne with original music by Dave Bell. Thanks for listening.